Welcome, beautiful being, to the Gaia Goddess Podcast. I am your host and founder, Maria Marshall. Each episode, we explore the transformational journey of women entrepreneurs, healers, and experts as they share their insightful stories and wisdom with a world of modern-day goddesses. Check out our community and free online content at GaiaGoddessLifestyle.com. Jamie, it's so much fun having you here today already. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I wanted to ask you, I know we both have a background in theater arts and we love characterization and dressing up. And I know you worked as an actress and I'm really curious what led you uh, from the acting to being a therapist in drama play therapy? Mm -hmm. Well, it takes me back to back in New York in my early 20s trying to pay the rent. So I had to, you know, juggle a bunch of jobs. And one job that occurred to me was to work with children in some way, in some entertainment type way. And um, I heard that this, this man who had his own you know, children's birthday party company needed a new entertainer. And so I called him up and he said, oh, yeah, you know, um, we're actually looking for a clown magician to join our team. And I immediately was like, nope, sorry, I don't do that. And he was like, well, wait, 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 I can I can teach you, you know, I can teach you what I do. And why don't you come, you know, watch me perform? I, I perform in hospitals too, and I do magic. So come on over. So, you know, I was kind of intrigued, although in my head I was thinking, oh gosh, like a clown with big wig and white face and big shoes. I, I wasn't into that. But when I saw him performing at NYU Hospital, oh my gosh, I, I was so moved because he was performing in such a kind of a dry humor way. And his clown costume was very subdued and and more, he was more like an urban clown and he didn't have the white face. He didn't have a wig on. He didn't have big shoes or anything, but he was so on point with these kids and these kids knew, they even knew like all of his tricks because he would come every week to see them. But it didn't matter because it was about the connection that he made with them. And what was really, really Um, an honor for me to witness was him after doing this show in the playroom he then went around and saw kids in their hospital beds the kids who were not able to come to the playroom and some of them were nonverbal and they had this whole dialogue with him and the magic tricks and the way that he wielded them it was just so beautiful so that really hooked me and after that he taught me, you know, his whole show and I I had to practice a lot and it was hard. I, I felt really shy in the hospitals, you know, walking around in a clown costume. Um, but after a while, and, and I never would have anticipated myself doing it for over 10 years, clowning mm-hmm. in hospitals. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really opened my eyes to the world of creative arts therapies um, was that one day after one of my magic shows in a hospital, I had this woman come up to me and she said, hey, um, are you a drama therapist? And I did like a double take and said, no, but that sounds really neat. 
And she told me, you know, I reminded her of somebody she had met who was a drama therapist. And that was really all it took for me to say, oh my gosh, well, I want to look into this. And when I found out more about it, I just knew that it was the path I needed to be on. And that all of my experience clowning in hospitals, working with children and seeing how healing it was to bring in play, to bring in humor, to bring in imagination. Um, you know, I was I was really invested in that. And I, um, you know, went off and got my master's degree and all that good stuff, all the professional hours I needed. And so I became a registered drama therapist and I, I've worked with children, I've worked with adults, I've worked with seniors and um, it's been such a joy. I feel really fortunate to absolutely like love what I do. Was there ever a time in your childhood or your life where you felt that you really lacked the play or the ability to um, discover and engage the way you're teaching other people to? Well, I've certainly had my moments of stuckness. <laughs> um, I think, you know, being in survival mode, especially a lot of times in my 20s and 30s, definitely uh, under a lot of stress, those moments have taken me out of play. But when I think about you know, one of the hardest things that I've been through is my parents' divorce when I was eight years old. I really think about how I leaned into play during those years. Um, I think, you know, being in my imagination, you know, just even imagining that I had angels with me mm. to talk to. Um, but oftentimes I, I would be you know, writing plays or, you know, begging my dad to put the video camera up on the tripod so that I could perform and dance and sing in front of it. You know, those kinds of things, I think, got me through the hard times. Yeah. So it sounds like you really intuitively knew what you needed in that moment. I mean, a divorce is very destabilizing. It really does hit our root chakra and our survival, yeah. our tribe, our family. And mm -hmm. um, you were able to work you know, your way through it and stay in the flow and creativity. Um, congratulations. That, I don't think most people know how to do that. One of your gifts, obviously. Well, I, I think, yeah, I was being supported uh, by many unseen helpers. But I also will say that um, it was such a difficult time where I didn't know where to put my emotions or how to identify my emotions. So one of my passions, one of the threads in my work with adults and children is really to help them identify their emotions, expand their emotional vocabulary, because there's so much involved with being able to even say how you feel, to know how you're feeling, you know, just to be able to speak to that. And mm -hmm. I think because I went through that and, and had um, a lot that I had to work through as an adult after kind of stuffing feelings. And, you know, I, I didn't know how to say, I'm angry about this. I did not know how to say that. But boy, I, I was really angry Yeah. when I look back at my mom and dad and being so confused about why they were breaking up. Right. And I, I imagine your work with parents is to educate parents and support parents um, in in allowing their children to to play and to see it as a vital component of life, but not just a 
a thing we do when we're children. Oh, yeah. and, and how do you teach ch- parents to support their children in play and, and understand that it's, it's something we all need, mm-hmm. even adults need? You know, because I think so often parents say to their children, stop fooling around. Stop being silly. Mm-hmm. Stop playing around. Yeah. And instead of like, this is really cool, you guys. I love it you're doing this, but now it's time to tidy up and we're going to put the play away for just num- a moment to get our bags ready for the airport. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So how do you support parents in that? Because I think it starts at home, right? And we, we mm-hmm. The life you lead is a lesson you teach. And if our parents aren't playing and things are getting hard at home and families are breaking up, mm-hmm. You know, it's how do we support the children there? Absolutely. Well, I have many thoughts about this. Um, First of all, I think let's give it to the parents. Give a hand to all the parents out there. Um, I hope to be a parent one day. But the stress that parents are under, especially after the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic um, that's still going on. Um, You know, I think that they first and foremost, need to access their playful self first um, so that they can have a little space inside to, you know, bring that lightness to their children. I think children, if all goes well, naturally will exude that lightness and playful, you know, side to themselves. But um I think parents, if they can find the play for themselves, then they can bring that to the everyday, you know, let's get your book bags, let's get your shoes on. Because, you know, you can make things a game. You can sing a song while you do it. I mean, I remember my mom taught me that a lot. My mom, you know, even when she was combing my hair and I had big knots in my hair and it wasn't very comfortable when she was combing my hair, she would tell a story, you know, like, oh, this knot, this is the this is the city rat. And oh, this knot over here, this is the country rat, you know, and she'd make up a whole story about that. And, and at least, you know, that gave me something to <laughs> imagine while I was doing something I didn't want to do. So I think there's lots of little ways to kind of bring, you know, humor and, you know, um, all sorts of, you know, games and things like that to, to kids. Yeah. Um, and also I understand that you work with couples. I imagine that's a very interesting way to go in with play. And there's, um, can you, can you speak a little bit about what it's like, how do you first begin working with couples to discover playfulness between themselves and within themselves? Yeah, totally. I love working with couples on this um, because so easily do they forget how they came together in the first place, right? So um, first of all, I usually get them to do the play personality assessment so that they can understand what kind of play style that they have innately, what are the dominant styles that they bring. And I look at, you know, how can they bring it more to themselves as individuals so as to fill their cup, so as to bring that that energy, that playful energy to their relationship. And then we look at how do they play together, right? Um, a lot of times when I ask that question, without saying what play could be or whatnot, I'll get the most delightful answers. You know, I'll, I'll get them to think about how, oh yeah, like we do, we do like tickle each other in the kitchen or, you know, 
um, will call each other names playfully, you know, or maybe it's they're social. So they, they have parties at their house. They have game nights. You know, there's all sorts of things that they might not consider to be play, but they are. And so just making them more conscious of that, first of all, I think that's helpful. In sessions, though, I like to get them to play. I, I do a lot of drama therapy techniques with them. Um, and you probably know this one, Maria, from your theater background, but even just doing mirroring, you know, it's all about attuning. So couples could benefit from attuning to each other every now and then and being really sensitive to what they're seeing in front of them. You know, if couples are in conflict, especially in my sessions, the way to slow them down is to get them to look at each other, first of all, look into their eyes, you know, maybe hold their hands because that is disarming. You know, a lot of times when people are in a fight, they're not looking really, they're not looking at each other. So, you know, it, it has to do with so many aspects of relationship. You know, it's play can be, well, we could talk about sex. We could talk about sensuality, but yeah, it's all juicy. It's all there. Yeah. I, um, I remember doing an intimacy retreat in Esalon with my former partner. And I would say we did mirrors and we also had to act like animals. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just remember being so astounded at my um, then partner's like ability to be so playful and really step into this vulnerability. And it, it was such a beautiful moment to see how playfulness and connecting through the eyes with mirror work can really open up a level of vulnerability and intimacy with each other. And um, I think your work is just beautiful. And I, I think it's wonderful that couples are exploring play with each other in this way. I wonder how do they find you? Like what, what inspires a grown couple to see a drama play therapist? And how do they find you? Well, I am very fortunate to work alongside of a fantastic sex therapist, Dr. Natalia Rosetskia. And so we partner a lot on things and occasionally we'll even co-lead a session together. So right now at this point, she sends me the couples. She sends them oh, my okay. way, you know, either for long-term therapy or even just like one time session where I get them to start thinking about play and to play in session with each other. So that's kind of how it's been going so far. But I, I definitely love to expand my work with couples. Yeah. So like you, Jamie, I, I went through some childhood issues, um, traumas that caused me to really go into survival mode and disconnect from play most of my life. And when people would suggest that I play, I was like, what's that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I wonder how this inner child work uh, also can be incorporated. Do you incorporate it into play therapy? Is it part and parcel of it? Mm -hmm, totally. And Maria, I'm so glad you bring this up because what play needs is safety. So when you experience trauma, you are going to feel unsafe and you're going to shut down those those root chakras, the, the sacral chakra as well. Those are going to tighten up because, you know, in order to play, in order to play, you need to be relaxed. 
You need to feel like you can surrender. Um, so I think, you know, in my work, a lot of trauma work is um, about, yeah, locating the inner child and really allowing your wise adult self to go in and first of all, nurture that inner child. And that meditation that you introduced me to, that was so powerful and so many tears. And it, it's like, I think the tears for me came because you can really see that little girl or little person inside of you and they're so precious, right? Mm -hmm. They're so precious and so innocent and they have their own personalities and just to really embrace that part and to, um, you know, one of my favorite things about that meditation is just to like ask that child, like, what do you want to do for fun? And then see what comes. Yeah. You know, I was imagining... We're we're riding jet skis. We're we're you know flying now in the sky on jet skis, and you know we're riding horses now. It's like just whatever comes, and it was so joyful. So I think you know that is first and foremost is to heal that that inner child, and and really, I talk a lot about reparenting and really going in using your your internal dialogue to sit with that inner child, listen to them, be there for them, give them that time and that space. Cause I think that's another thing that is required for play. You need to have time and space. You can't be rushed. Right. And I think that's kind of thinking about adults having a hard time with play. It's a lot of times we're very rushed. We have this and that to do, check things off the to-do list, you know, yeah. and that yeah. makes it hard. So I think you have to be intentional yeah. with that. Yeah, and we feel it's, you know, being somewhat frivolous and irresponsible to p make time for play when it actually creates more, I think, creatively. Like I've been told, think of playing at your business. What brings you joy? What is playful for you? If singing and making a meditation is playful for you, do that. Mm -hmm. You know, find those areas that you feel playful, your inner child loves, and mm -hmm. from that place you will create like even more. Yes. So, you know, bringing play to your work, you know, and focusing mm -hmm. it in the work area, like really if we can bring that energy to every aspect of our life, I'm sure we feel more alive and we feel more joyful and more embodied too, right? Because the essence of, of all of us, right, is to be in joy. Oh it's my not gosh. to be in survival mode. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and you know, we are up against a culture that promotes hard work, achievement. It's it's toxic. And I'm hoping that that over the next few years starts to dissolve. You know, I think um, resting, too. That's That's kind of another movement that's going on right now. It's like really embracing restful moments, taking breaks, all of that. I think you need you need that. I do. I'll speak for myself. I need to rest before I can actually feel like I want to play, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If I'm tired, there's not going to be a lot of play going right, on. Right. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just curious because you went through the different archetypes uh, of play. And uh, you seem to have a favorite, but I'm not sure. I'm curious. Do you have a favorite one or is it a combination of a few? Yes. I think um, 
combination is kinesthete, which is the one who is physical and embodied and loves to be in movement, motion, um, with combination of storyteller and joker, I think. And I, I look at I look at the way I played as a kid, which is also something to review, you know, like how did, how did you enjoy yourself as a kid? What did you do? And I would say that I spent a lot of time in my imagination and, you know, playing with dolls or playing with other kids, pretending. And so that has stuck with me. And of course, that's what, you know, led me to being an actor and a poet and a performer and all of that, but also my clown persona, you know, I think being in that for 10 years, that also brought more of my sense of humor forward. And um, I love that. I, I also did a lot of improv, so the comedy is is definitely mm. there. But thank you for asking. I, <laughs> I could go on because I'm the storyteller. <laughs> yes, you are. And um, I'm just curious. I always like to ask uh, for these pearls of wisdom that you can lend to our audience. I'm I wonder, and I struggle with as adult, how can I embody the energy of play so it flows naturally through me instead of like, well, this is another thing I have to work at, you know? So mm. what would you give as advice to me and anybody else that's wondering the same question? Yeah. The first thing that comes to me is to really get quiet and just really tap into what do you enjoy, what brings you pleasure. And that might not look traditionally like play at first, but, um, you know, if you notice that you love, you know, going to a particular spot in the woods and just sitting and like watching, watching the animals, listening to the birds, I think getting to that place where you can really hear yourself and hear what your inner child is asking for, um, and so what that requires is slowing down, you know, mm -hmm. just slowing down and letting your mind wander. You know, I don't think we take enough time to daydream either. Right. Yeah. So sure. I love, I love that kind of stuff. And, and I do for myself, I have to be really intentional, which doesn't feel like work anymore. I think, you know, when you're talking about, how do we not work at play, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, like I, I've sort of created a morning ritual that allows me to reset, you know, and be and kind of build that foundation for the day. And within that, I have quietness, I have stillness. And that I think is where I access any kind of playful energy that wants to come through that day. It's like an invitation, you know, um, and that that's kind of how I see it. But I think everybody's different, too. Yeah. You know, thank you. Maria, you're one of the most playful people I've ever met. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> well, that's news to me, but thank you for that. It's good to know. I'm happy that I'm able to exude that. And you witnessed that. Thank you for seeing that. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming today and just sharing and giving of yourself. You're such a beautiful, beautiful soul. And I'm so grateful for you, Jamie, and so grateful for this work that you're doing. It's so important, mm -hmm. so important playfulness. So thank you for bringing this through. 
Thank you for seeing that. And I'm a reflection of you, of course. <laughs> It was so much fun having you with us today, and we'd love you to join us for classes, events, and retreats. You can connect with us on GaiaGoddessLifestyle.com to check out our free content and sign up for our newsletter. Mm-hmm.